Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. All right. You guys ready? Let's do it. All right. I want to introduce you to someone. His name is Victor Frankel. There's a photo they'll put up on the screen here momentarily. It was the one we talked about earlier. Victor Frankel was an Austrian psychiatrist, and he was a survivor of the Holocaust. He was captured in 1942, hauled off to a concentration camp along with his mother, brother, and wife. And for the next three years, he was shuffled to four different concentration camps before he was liberated in 1945. By the time he was released, he had seen far more than his fair share of suffering and death, including the entirety of his family members. While he was there, Victor didn't cease to be a psychiatrist. He found himself asking psychiatry questions in just about the worst lab of pain and suffering that humanity has ever created. And while he was there, he specifically found himself asking this question. What is it that gives you the best chance of surviving a horrific thing like the Holocaust? Now, obviously, there are no guarantees because there's just all kinds of terrible things happening all over the place. But what do the survivors have in common? And what he boiled it down to, he published in his best-selling book. You could read it if you like. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. It's not an easy book to read, (laughs) but it is a really powerful book. And he summarizes his findings and essentially says this, that there was one thing that all the people that survived the Holocaust had in common. And it was they were able to find a way to link what they were experiencing to a broader meaning in life. If there was some way that what they were going through could be a part of something that was bigger than their own lives... It meant something. It stood for something. Those were the people that when the atrocities would happen, they'd get knocked down over and over and over again. They had the ability to get up and get up and get up and keep putting one foot in front of the other. The people who didn't have that quickly succumbed and their lives were ended. Our need for meaning our need for significance, our need to matter in this world is actually a fundamental human need. Now, in the case of a concentration camp, it's, it's actually literally a pretty black and white life or death need. In our case, it's probably not so black and white, but I want to suggest it may not be uh, that far from life or death. It's not the instant death of a concentration camp. It's the prolonged, steady death of uncertain anxiety or depression. We need our lives to count for something. And what I want to talk about tonight, what I want us to, dis- to uh, explore is this question. What would it look like for our faith to be that meaningful for us? Now, I know, we all know the right answer here, right? 
We all know, oh yeah, my faith is the most important thing there is to me. <laughs> I get that, okay? I, I'm not really interested in your right answer. What I'm interested in is, what would it look like for us to live the life where our faith was that central and that important to our sense of meaning? <clears throat> you know, we all know that Jesus is supposed to be front and center in our priorities. But if we look at the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our energy, the truth is, is we may have more enthusiasm over the rugby game than Jesus. So what does it look like to actually have that meaning, actually have our faith be that core thing? That's what I want to talk about. So let's look at Jesus. Jesus, I want to suggest to you, lived a life of radical sacrifice. If you think about it, pretty much any, any means of success or good life that people have ever really had, Jesus basically didn't have it. Never had a family, never had a spouse, didn't have a home. For everything we know that was written about him, didn't have a job, didn't have any money, hung around with societal rejects, losers, constantly fought with all the important people. Oh, and in the end, one of his best friends betrays him and he dies. And he chose all of that. Now, here's the thing. Jesus, I want to suggest to you, didn't make all those radical sacrifices because they were the right thing to do. He wasn't doing that because he was like, oh, oh, Matthew's sitting there right there. He's writing about me. The, the Christians later are going to need to know this. <laughs> That's not what's happening in, in the Bible. What's happening is the, the apostles are recording a life that Jesus voluntarily chose as something he wanted. You know, we, when, when, we, when we bear a sacrifice, there's two ways that we can process it and understand it. Some things we consider sacrifices that we give up. Other things we consider an investment. And we consider it an investment when what we give up, in our opinion, is worth less than what we will gain from it. I just finished um, renovating my basement this past summer. Well, we moved into a new house a little while back, and I was like, oh, I can finish out the basement. This will be great. And so I start the project, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really convinced that this thing is going to take me six months. And uh, four years later, <laughs> just put the finishing touches on it this summer, so I wasn't exactly right in my estimation. But along the way, I spent hundreds of hours, thousands of dollars, tons of time that I could have been with my wife, I could have been with my kids, I could have been, you know, enjoying hobbies or whatever it is. I didn't do any of it. I gave all of that up. I made a big sacrifice, only to me... It didn't feel like a sacrifice because I saw it as an investment. I'm going to lay this time and this energy down because getting a better basement is totally worth it to me. Jesus lives 
the radical life we just described as an investment. He doesn't begrudgingly live that way. He lives that way knowing that he gets something that to him matters more. The writer of Hebrews uh, puts it this way. He says, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. Like He was like, the cross is an investment so that I get something better. So Jesus isn't like, you know, wandering through life just trying to live up to God's rules. Jesus has been captured and captivated by something. And he's been so captivated by it that he's willing to live this radical life because this thing is giving him so much purpose, meaning, and significance. What is that central thing for Jesus? It's the kingdom of God. If you read the Bible, Jesus is practically obsessed with the kingdom. It's all he ever talks about. I just jotted a few things down. It's first of all, it's his core message. I mean, every time he gets a chance to, to, to talk, he's proclaiming the kingdom. He's doing kingdom stuff. It's why he goes from town to town to share. There are a bunch of times in the Gospels where Jesus is in the middle of a city and it's quite literally a full-blown revival. The whole city is coming out to him to preach. Demons are flying out of people. Uh, Paralyzed people are jumping up on their mats. I mean, this is the Christian preacher's dream come true. (laughs) This is what we fast and pray for, right? The whole city is coming to know Jesus. It's amazing. And Jesus is like, yep, time to move on. (laughs) Got to go over there because they don't know about the kingdom yet. He was compelled to share this message of the kingdom. So what he told his parables about. How many parables start, the kingdom of God is like, dot, dot, dot. It was the highest priority that he told us to have. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things will be added to you. It's the birthright of those of us who are born again. Unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom. It was the motivation he gives to avoid sin. Don't do these things or you won't inherit the kingdom of God. And it is the message and the ministry that he multiplies to his disciples and to the church to spread around the world. Go therefore, or not, that's a great commission. As you go, (laughs) proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Jesus is obsessed with the kingdom. It is his thing. The kingdom. God's godding. This is a good way to think about that. God's action, God's activity. When God is godding in the world, this is the thing that Jesus is hooked on. This is the thing that Jesus is fixed on. And what I want to suggest to us today is this. We can be as hooked by this kingdom as Jesus was. But it's a different thing to be a follower of Jesus than it is to be hooked by the kingdom. Growing up, 
I grew up in the church. My dad has worked for a Baptist denomination for basically the entirety of his uh, working career. And so I grew up uh, deeply involved with the church, around pastors. You know, I was probably in the church like three weeks old and never left. Uh, I, did, I did all the Wednesday night Bible studies. I did all of the Sunday schools. I did all of the extra stuff. I was a leader. I was a da-da-da. I, I did it all. I was totally into it. And it was legitimate for me. It was real. I wasn't just doing it because I was going through the motions. I have known Jesus since Basically, I can't ever remember a time that I didn't. And as I grew up, I got a great number of beautiful, wonderful things in my journey of faith and through the church and so forth. But I never was apprehended by the kingdom. It wasn't until I eventually came into graduate school and I show up at this goofy church called the Vineyard Church. At least, as a Baptist, that's the only thing I can assume these churches are named, because you certainly wouldn't name a church after something that makes alcohol. That's ridiculous. (laughs) So I rock up to this vineyard church, and it's, it's this interesting experience. The people are warm, they're nice, they seem oddly obsessed with coffee. It's like that in the U.S. too. The worship is kind of energetic, the preaching is fine, it's relevant, whatever. And then at the end of the service, it was, a, it was like a young adult service. It was actually a Sunday night service, a lot like this. At the end of the service, the, the young adult pastor kind of pops up front, and he says something like this. He goes, hey, guys, at the vineyard, we believe that God still does stuff. And we had a team praying before, and, and they've got what we call some words of knowledge. This is just stuff God highlighted to us. And so if any of these things are going on in your life, as we conclude, why don't you come up front here? It was sort of an upfront ministry time thing. Why don't you come up front and our prayer team will pray for you? And who knows? You might get healed or God might break through in your life in some other way. And he lists out some words of knowledge, you know, conditions, stuff. You've likely heard it before. Now, part of being a Baptist involves knowing that you know everything. <laughs> And I could say this because this was my journey, okay? I'm a recovering ba- Do we have any other recovering Baptists in here? A couple of us, okay? It's a great drive. I love the Baptists, right? Aren't they great? They're great. Yeah, right? I love it, right? So as, as a good Baptist, I know I know everything, and I've never seen this. And so my first reaction is not particularly open. It's closed. In fact, I'm probably sitting right about where Mr. Ives is right there. And I'm sort of like, you know, my arms go like this. Mm, I don't know what I think about this. And I watch with a kind of, you know, confused look on my face. Disturbed might be a better way to say it. A disturbed look on my face. And I just judge the whole thing. Completely judge it. For some reason, I came back next week. It's because I had friends there and I was busy in graduate school. And I sit through another service. Mmm. Sit through another service, judging, shaking, arms crossed. And slowly I move my way back to the very back row. And I sit in the back row, judging all of this Holy Spirit stuff, judging all of this kingdom stuff for four years. Now, every step of the way, I am still loving and following Jesus. I was absolutely a Christian. I was absolutely going to heaven. 
I was saved. There was, there, was, there was nothing between me and God that was wrong. Like, I'm good with him. He's good with me. I'm a believer. But what had not happened is I had not been apprehended by the kingdom that had apprehended Jesus. It took about four years. God kind of like navigates me into a corner where I can't really escape in any way. And then when I'm in China, least expecting it, he pounces and the Holy Spirit blows a room apart when I sort of get tricked into praying for something I don't even believe in. If you want to hear the, the fuller story, talk to a School King Ministry student. They can, they can fill you in or take School King Ministry. <clears throat> the whole, my whole life gets confronted because God comes crashing in. And when he does... He challenges me with the same thing that the kingdom challenges all of us. See, here's the thing I've learned about the kingdom. The kingdom is kind of like a bully. When the kingdom starts getting involved with your life, the kingdom kind of goes like this. It walks up to you and goes, oh, <laughs> this is really cute. You think you're in charge. You're not in charge. I'm in charge. The kingdom doesn't share space. See, here's the thing. You can be a Christian, and you can take what Jesus teaches us, and you can fold it into your life. You can't fold the kingdom into your life. You don't get the kingdom. The kingdom gets you. Until you cross that threshold. We talked a little bit at the conference about threshold moments in our lives. Until you cross that threshold, the reality is you're not in the kingdom of God. You're in the kingdom of you. You're in charge. But what happens is the kingdom crashes into our lives. It grabs us. It swallows us up whole. And we become part of what it is doing, not the other way around. And that means we get sucked up into a glorious, out of control, but in his adventure. And what I found and what my journey has been is that as terrifying as it is to lose control of your life, which is not fun, as terrifying as it is, it will meet the needs of your life to be a part of something bigger than you in a way that goes far beyond anything you could dream. After God pounced on my life, about two years later, I, I completed my graduate degree. I have a PhD in theoretical quantum physics. By most people's estimation, top three most difficult degrees in the world. I went to one of the best universities in the United States. In some uh, areas of physics, it is literally the best university in the world. And I was not a bad student. I was not in the bottom four-fifths of my class. <laughs> I was set up to do pretty well in this direction. But two years in, I defend, I get my PhD, 
And what quickly becomes clear to me is that in the circumstances of my life, I can go one way or the other. I can't go both. I can either continue along this trajectory of, of physics and, and, and follow that out, or I can be a part of what God is doing, the way the kingdom is moving, where I live in that community, and I can't do both. That's not that God's opposed to science or physics. It's just that was my circumstances specifically. And I look at that long and hard, and I realize that I can't be the guy. I won't be able to live with myself if I'm the guy that decides to leave when God is moving. It might be nice to make a little more money in the first couple of years, <laughs> but five to ten years in, I'm going to live with regret for the rest of my life. And so I do what Jesus commends us to. This is Matthew 13 challenging verse, but freeing. <clears throat> Matthew thirteen forty four, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, for the joy set before him, in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. The kingdom doesn't share space. And when the kingdom apprehends us, it will drive you to some version of this happening in your life. It may be financial, it may not be financial. For me, it happened to be mostly financial. <laughs> I wound up after I, I defended, I told our pastor, I'm not leaving town. He said, well, why don't you help us do some of this healing ministry stuff at our church? So I come on staff at our church halftime. The first year, I made less than one-sixth of the average salary for my degree. I've never got anywhere close to any of the time since, but in the beginning, one-sixth. And for the last, that was 2010, you know, so for the last coming up on 10 years at this point, <clears throat> not only have I not had a lot of money, <laughs> I've had articles written about me and how I'm a heretic on the internet. I've been attacked by my own denomination, dragged through the mud and the dirt. I've had people who should have had conversations with me go to leaders and try and tattletale or rat on me instead. I have, I have not had some fun things. But you know what I've also had? I've been able to see the sick healed. I've been able to see the blind see and the deaf hear. I've been able to see the cripple walk. I've been able to see the demonized set free. I've been able to see the lost come to know Jesus. And for all the hard parts and for everything that I gave up, everything that I sold to buy the field, in the last 10 years, I have never for one second regretted the choice that I made. Because when the kingdom grips you, when you get confronted with that thing where you yield your life and you say, none of this is mine anymore, and you say yes, you wind up getting taken on this glorious, fantastic, incredible adventure. And God chooses 
to personally weave your life into the most important and eternal story that ever will be told. You give up a lot, yeah, but it never feels like a lot. It feels like an investment. And so here's, here's my, here's my uh, I don't know, confrontation. I'm a little confrontational tonight. I'm tired from the trip, so the, the warm putty is, is already back on the way back home to America. You just have me. Okay. Here's, here's what I, uh, I just want to lovingly ask. To what extent have you been gripped by the kingdom? To what extent can you look at your life and say, yeah, I, I did sell all that I have. Now, I say that not because if you look at your life and you go, I don't know. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. We're, we're brothers and sisters here. This is not a shame or a condemnation thing at all. The point is this, is if the answer to that is, well, I, don't, I don't know that I have done that, or maybe I haven't done that fully. I did it a little bit, but I backed off of it in some other areas. The message to hear is not, you're not a good Christian. <laughs> The message to hear is that the kingdom is better than you can imagine. Because right now you're processing that as a sacrifice. And the truth is, on the other side of that, you'll see what you give up is so much less than what you get. It might just be that the kingdom is better than you think it is. It might just be the adventure that God has for you is more glorious than you imagine it is. Have you been gripped by the same kingdom that gripped Jesus? Because when that happens, we find out what it means to be fully alive. And so with that, I'm going to pray, and our team is going to come, and we're going we're to minister together. Jesus, we want to be got by your kingdom. We do. We're kingdom people, God. That's, that's what this vineyard thing is, is really all about. God. We're a church people that want to be apprehended by your kingdom. But God, we can't even really make that happen. All we can do is posture and invite you. And so, Lord, right now, we just posture ourselves as open towards your kingdom. We say, God, if, if your kingdom is so amazing that giving up the entirety of our lives is a small price to pay for it, then we just say yes to you. Lord, there's no part in our lives that's off the table. There's no part that we want to uh, hold on to. We want to live in your kingdom, not our kingdom. We want you to be on the throne, not us to be on the throne in our own lives. So Lord, we posture ourselves as open to you, and we ask that your radical kingdom would come crashing into our lives and that you would weave us into your great eternal story. It's in your name we pray. Amen.